Welcome everyone to the Partner Up Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Viancourt, a former introverted small towner who now adds value to businesses by sharing the most effective ways to grow and scale using affiliate and influencer partnership strategies. I'll share the lessons I've learned over the past 15 years while helping my clients generate more than 100 million in sales. We'll also dive into productivity hacks, mindset, and the newest trends from real case studies and expert interviews. You're just one partnership away from changing your business. Get ready, partner up, and profit. Let's get into it. Today's episode, we are diving deep on YouTube. We've got Sean Joseph, a YouTube expert and consultant who's helped companies get in front of over 50 million subscribers on the YouTube platform. And he's an expert at connecting companies with creators and vice versa to leverage a platform of over 5 billion users. So just imagine YouTube is 5 billion today. What's it going to be in 5, 10, 15 years? It's continuing to grow. So we're going to talk about the secrets to building solid foundations for partnership programs specific to YouTube, as well as how to monitor partners on YouTube and how to structure good deals, analyze them, price them and negotiate and work with them for a longer term objective. We're going to talk about ad placements too, pre-roll, mid-roll, end-roll, and all the combinations to get the maximum success out of every campaign. And listen, we are just scratching the surface on this one, but there is an enormous amount of value. So get ready and let's get into it. All right, Sean Joseph, welcome to the Partner of Profits podcast. Man, it is exciting to have you on the show today. Thank you, Joey. Thank you so very much for having me. And to everyone listening, you're in for a fun episode. It's great to be here with you. Absolutely. We are going to get in some juicy topics today. Before we get into that, though, what's something interesting about you that not many people know? Ooh, I think this may be known more so by people that I've had a couple of months or interactions with, but I'm obsessed with sports. And... The reason is, I think it's a great metaphor for life. I think it teaches really practical lessons that every person experiences on a day-to-day. And I love studying the mindsets of certain athletes. A whole nother discussion that we can have, but there's a lot of ways to use situations that athletes have dealt with to encounter moments that we have as leaders, as innovators, and as people who have to break new ground. I think there's a lot that we can learn from sports and how to apply that. Nice. Who's your favorite team? Favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. So in Dallas, grew up here. It's tough to say that sometimes because we get so close to closing the deal, but we don't. But at the same time, that's part of the belief too. So we've got good good financial management. We just got to get past the hump. Okay. All right. Well, listen, for those of you who don't know Sean, and for those of you that listen to the podcast episodes, that I bring on a lot of people behind the scenes. And these are the money makers of the companies. These are the people that are making things happen. So we are the people that you want to be talking to. Okay. We're not the stars of the show sometimes, but let me tell you, we're making sure the stars make the money. So Sean actually outreached me. I don't know how many years ago it was, but your outreach message still to this day sticks in my mind. First off, I got my attention and I get like thousands of emails a year from outreach. Everyone does, but you had this power grid uh, in your outreach message in a PS. It was like, listen, even if you don't care about what I have to say, here's a little gift for you. And I was like, oh, what's this? I opened it up. It was basically like an evaluation of my time. It was saying like, if you're watching Netflix, it's like negative $10 an hour. If you're doing this, it's like a thousand dollar an hour job. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. So to me, that was always something that stood out. I was like, okay, this guy's got something going on. I'm going to get on a call with him. Right. So just a little note for the, those of you out there looking for some power moves like that. But one other thing too that we should note is Sean and I have worked together. So I know what he does is very effective. 
I've had calls with this guy and he is a smart guy, one of the smartest strategists, best marketers that I know. And he's helped us close deals with people like Dr. Story, MMA fighters like Chael Sonnen, comedians like Brent Pella, also is working with JP Sears through Mutual Connections. And he's played a massive role in helping us get in front of over 10 million subscribers at the very least, okay? And basically we took this from like a zero to six figure thing in about 12 months of starting working together. Not to mention the brand equity and of course all the brand assets that we get from working with YouTube influencers and the content that they're creating. I mean, this type of promotion is so valuable beyond just revenue, okay? It's what you can do with it after. So we're gonna talk about everything around YouTube partnerships today. Sean is an expert YouTube consultant. I'm gonna give you his more formal bio in just a second, but we're gonna be talking about everything from YouTube influencers to why YouTube may be the most lucrative long-term investment for a partnerships channel. And we're gonna talk about the secrets to building solid foundations for partnerships programs, how to get your email answered. Sean, I just gave you away one of your secrets, but we have some killer copywriting concepts and we're gonna cover partnership strategies for outreach, closing and locking in deals and everything in between to winning on a platform with over 5 billion users. Yes, YouTube has over 5 billion users and that's just gonna to continue to climb. So you wanna know about this stuff now because <laughs> we are not even, we haven't even cracked like the code or the scratch the surface. And Sean, like you opened my eyes to so many concepts. So I'm really grateful for you to be here today and just get ready everyone. This is gonna be a great episode. But before that, just wanna know like, how'd you get your start in all of this? I just wanna kind of back up a little bit. Absolutely. So I started out pathetic and hopeless <laughs> from the standpoint of growing up in school, K through 12, I showed some promise in sports. And I know I touched on that. That was just one of the very few things that really drove my passion, but school was never my thing. So I grew up in a house, two older sisters, they were great students, but I knew kind of comparatively that I wasn't, I was probably lost up until the age of 18, not really knowing what my potential was or where I kind of stacked in terms of society. I took a haphazard approach. I applied to only one college, the University of Texas, go Longhorns for anybody that's a fan, but I didn't get in. And it was absolutely devastating for me because I had either probably a combination of the foolishness and the arrogance of only applying to one school and I didn't get in. So I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Accepted with Justin Long, one of my favorites, but it provided so much comfort at the time because basically that's the story. The the story in the movie is a bunch of kids don't get accepted into college. They make their own. And through the process, they find meaning, right, and direction on what really matters in life. So there was this really interesting point in my life, 18, 19, where I just felt, Joey, that I knew that I was cutting, like selling myself short. I wasn't putting in the amount of work needed. I wasn't having audacious goals. I wasn't even coming close to testing the limits of, of personal potential, which we all have. And I kind of hit at this point where I'm just like, this is not okay. And I have to basically shift this 180. And about 19 years old, I did that. I just basically started with the decision to work a hell of a lot harder. And it wasn't intellectual by any means. It was just wherever you're in, just start noticing those around you. And if you're not doing as much, feel somewhat bad about that. <laughs> just start there. You'll develop more emotional reserves and, and maturity along the way, but that's where it started. So flash forward four years later, I ended up going to a business school at UT. So I got in and I got to the business school and then I started my career at Accenture. So it's the world's largest management consulting firm by revenue, help 
90% plus of Fortune 500. And I was there for about five years. So uh, same firm that Jay Shetty worked at also in their digital marketing space. So it was just a really amazing environment to learn from top strategists, people that saw business in terms of the numbers, but weren't limited solely by math and analytics, but that also had the creative problem solving ability to envision new ways that businesses could grow. And I was fascinated by the world of consulting. What I was not fascinated by was the corporate career path. So at about maybe 24, 25, I started asking myself, when I'm 50 plus in my 60s, do I still want to be doing this? And it was a yes and no. The yes was, I want to be doing this type of work because you get to learn, you get to use your mind, and you get to apply strategies towards growth, which is something that will continue to do probably for life. But I just don't want to do it in this structure. So then I started looking elsewhere. I turned to YouTube. This is about 2016, 2017, maybe. I came across a guy named Tom Bilyeu. Maybe some folks are familiar with him. I started watching his show, became obsessed with it. And I literally quit my job <laughs> and wrote on a note card that I was going to work with Tom by a specific date. And that was the only option for me. And by a lot of work and by God's grace, I was able to meet him cold at a hotel here in Dallas, basically pitched him, just honestly went really hard <laughs> asking him questions to that. I just spent a lot of time that I don't think he had thought about yet for his own company. And at the end of that interaction, he said, I'll see you in LA. So it was this amazing moment for me where there was nothing special about anything that I had done. It really started with a choice to work hard for about 10 years. And it, it put me as the first hire for a unicorn founder and really learning some interesting concepts, which would ultimately bring us together. So I worked for Tom, managed his partnerships about two years across podcast, Instagram, YouTube, et cetera, made about 2 million plus uh, just going at a rapid pace without any real understanding of how to do this. Decided to start my own consulting firm where we focus specifically on YouTube partnerships, which is where both working with Tom and then also with you, Joey, at Bioptimizers, it's just been an amazing opportunity to go even further into <laughs> the power of YouTube. But that in a nutshell kind of, yeah, brings us to, to where we are today. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing story. And uh, I was just thinking like, there's so many parallel paths that I can relate to everything from at the age of 18, you're like, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. It sounds like, and I was doing the same thing and people were like, oh, you're young. And I was like, kind of thinking, I got to get my life in order here. I didn't know what I was doing either. I went through and I was in a corporate cubicle cage as I like to refer to it, hated it, didn't like it, didn't see any reason to stay and ultimately just left it but i just think it's really cool that so many of us in this industry have been able to find new passions and and much better career paths just by abandoning things because it's not the right fit and we just know that the passion's not there and something else too like you mentioned was the intention so a lot of times we're thinking about this in partnership marketing we're thinking about this in every career that we're in but the intention to do something and then making it a manifestation and like you writing on a postcard is powerful having a whiteboard near you all the time with your goals set and like even writing to yourself in the future right there you go <laughs> I mean, these are all powerful things. And I think that like that in itself, we could go through as an episode and like cover a whole different topic on mindset. But yeah, let's focus on your YouTube stuff. I really want to dive into some of the, the gold that you've been sharing as well as first off, you were Tom Bilyeu's first hired impact. That's a huge credit to your resume, right? As YouTube consultant, Sean's created deals with Amazon, Skillshare, Wix, Bioptimizers, Blinkist, ButcherBox, Athletic Greens, and more. He's also worked with some of the world-class creators, including Tom Bilyeu, Charisma on Command, Jordan Harbinger, Lily. Garcia, just to name a few, and that's over 10 million subscribers in combined subscribers here. He believes the partnerships can be managed through thoroughly like how Warren Buffett invests with sound rational frameworks. 
And I love frameworks, right? So don't get me started just yet on those, but his current quest is partnering with amazing companies and YouTubers to design the best partnership programs and really just creating the synergies. So I wanna put this in a bit of a, a context for everyone listening. If you don't know what YouTube partnerships are, we're gonna explain that exactly what that is. And there's different variations. There's everything from endorsements to actual affiliate deals you can do. And there's ways to monetize better and build longer term partnerships. And if you have no idea how to get into this, this episode is gonna be great because it's gonna really mitigate all the shortcomings that happen when you first get into something. Sean and I just had a conversation before starting the podcast and it's like everyone's so scared to do something because it is a costly mistake and there are so many costly mistakes that you can avoid and nobody's talking about this yet. Everyone's teaching you how to become a YouTuber, how to become a creator, but like no one's talking about how to monetize with businesses through partnerships like this. So it's gonna be a good one. This is an episode that I really was looking forward to. Now, YouTube has some very attractive long tail revenue streams from partnership and affiliate videos when done the right way, okay? So think about these videos. They are living on, they're gaining momentum over time and provided that they're not dynamically inserted ads, they're going to continue to make you money for a long time. So just think about that because as compared to like a podcast ad, which I also do podcast ads, Sean, you've been involved with those and they can make money too. Some don't live on. And I would say YouTube is becoming an information educational portal, similar to like Netflix, right? People are going to these places. They're not listening to satellite TV anymore and all these things, but people and like new people coming through are gonna be going to YouTube a lot more in the future. And whether it's YouTube or like things are gonna evolve as well, right, Sean? Like it's not just YouTube, YouTube could become something more one day, but the behavior is going to be the same. So I want to start with some questions. Let's talk about the power and potential of YouTube, because there was something you mentioned in the show notes before we started was you th you see this really growing up until 2050. So why 2050 and why YouTube? Yes, absolutely. So it starts with where are we today as a society? And as we all know, for the past few years, we've been navigating through a pandemic. And through that process, there's been a serious shift and an upgrade towards remote work. Now, why does that matter in this case? Well, when there's a shift towards remote work, more people on the planet have more autonomy of their day. When they have more autonomy of their day, by the numbers, they're using devices more and they're going on social media platforms more, which is great news, right, for folks that are interested in learning about these spaces, because quite literally, the traffic is higher, the demand is higher, the opportunity is greater. Now, why are we looking forward to a 20, 30 year time horizon? Well, this starts with some of the comments of the previous YouTube CEO, but what I'd encourage everyone to do, and, and what I'll also be doing, Joey, is sending a link of, of helpful stuff that people can check out. You'll get all this I have for those that are watching, but I encourage folks to read the 10K, the annual report of Google and go deeply into the platforms you want to know about because you have the leaders who are managing, designing, and crafting the future of the platforms that we'll all interact with on some capacity. Um, and they're really outlining their own direction and intentions for the future. So let's look at YouTube has been around since the mid 2000s. I believe first year was 06, 07. So you've got about 15 to 16 years, pretty early timeline. At this point, you've got over 3 billion people using it on a monthly basis. You've got 50 million unique creators. Just two years ago, we were at 35 million. So that's roughly 40 plus percent increase just over two year time span, which is just fascinating. <laughs> what that's saying is YouTube as a whole is growing. It's a matter of time before more than half the global population is using it. The folks that are using it are spending by the numbers about 10% of their day on it. And then more people are independently choosing to create their own channels. Now, why does this matter? As you mentioned, Joey, kind of like Netflix, and I think that's the perfect analogy, right? The, the perfect way to think about it, because there's 
couple levels of watching, right? You may come across a piece of content and you may watch it, enjoy it. You may not think anything of it. It's two ends of the spectrum, but you can come across something and have an experience with it. That's the first, right? Which is some level of passive watching. And the second is, as we all know, it is you subscribe, right? Or you opt into a channel that you're really about and you want to receive updates and notifications about how that content progresses. Well, what's going to happen and what we've already seen, and this was a hypothesis, kind of the beginning of the pandemic with just us kind of seeing the work as people are developing bigger audiences, they're also becoming more sophisticated with the style of content, not only they want to create, but what their audience really craves. And what's really emerging is you're having folks growing these self-opted in audiences, right? People who want to be a part of essentially these schools or these universities of some level of entertainment or education. And through that come amazingly undefined grounds for building business models. Meaning, let's use Mr. Beast as the genuine article right now, right? Mr. Beast's first video was him as a teenager saying he wanted to be a YouTuber. Flash forward five plus years later, the guy's starting ghost kitchen food chains. There's one 10 minutes from where I live right now. And when my nephews come in and visit, they're under 10, they want a Mr. Beast burger. That is the power of YouTube. You can be someone from anywhere in the world, have a dream, have compelling enough content, and then within a matter of short timeline, you could be on a path to being a first billion dollar creator. And that is a business model, right? Developing your own food chains just because people care that much about who you are and what you bring to the world. So that in a nutshell, yeah, hopefully it gives some perspective on the numbers, how channels are really emerging into these own thought leadership schools, these places where you can get education for free, essentially, right? Obviously there's, there's paid opportunities that come with certain creators and, and what they're trying to do. But I definitely want to harp on majority of what people put out is free. So Take full advantage of that stuff because one other thing, if this were 10, 20 years ago, you'd have to fight for a seat in a conference to hear certain speakers speak. And you might have to pay X amount of dollars, right? And it worth every penny, right? Or maybe if you're at school, you'd have to wait for a certain keynote speaker to be there at a certain time. And you had to craft your whole schedule around it. And, and many of you would prioritize it as such. But now you have people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Peter Lynch, Soros, like just some of the absolute greatest business minds coming forward and teaching in depth about what they learned for free. Long, long, long form content, right? Like if anyone's bored, but wants to also be learning at the same time, play Warren Buffett Q&As at some of his annual conferences in the background on one of your separate screens. And you'll just absorb such a wealth of deep, long-term business information and it's free. So yeah, yeah really, really cool stuff happening. No, you're highlighting a lot of great facts that even I didn't know. And it's always shocking. And that's why I love this conversation. It kind of reignites the creative juices a little bit. I was like, okay, like now I'm bought in again. Let's go all in on YouTube. And we haven't stopped doing YouTube and we were continuing to do partnerships. But I wanted to highlight and I wanted to circle back for a few things and the reasons why I love YouTube tactically. Okay. So from an advertiser's perspective, now let's define what we're talking about today for partnerships and using partnerships with YouTube. So you've got like native ads that could happen on YouTube, things that are popping up, people are bidding on things. That's not what we're talking about today. Although the YouTubers can make money off that, you can also monetize that. What we're talking about is using this as a partnerships extension. So an extension to your brand, to your company, to your product, whatever the case is, and partnering with really credible, trustworthy, content creators that have content that's in line with what you're trying to sell or who you're trying to target to. Now, I love podcasts, but most of the time when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm in a car or I'm doing dishes and my hands are busy and I'm just trying to entertain my mind. And listen, podcast ads are great, but I'm also like, skip it, whatever. Now, if you have an educational piece on YouTube and I'm in front of my 
computer and I have my hands on my desk, I have clickable devices happening, okay? So it's great because you want that. You want that person to be able to just like go, oh geez, what's that? And go click. As opposed to a podcast ad, they may or may not remember it just right away. So again, podcasts are great. I would just think that YouTube's got a bit more value to it for that reason. And then also it's just the educational component that you're mentioning. It is free and people are going here to learn things. So they're an engaged audience. And this is also why I love influencers in general, because provided the content creation is good and the person is a good content creator, which if people are following them and they like what they're doing, they will be interested in what they're promoting. And just the other day, I was on a video and I ended up buying a bug zapper. Would I have bought that from radio commercial? Maybe not. <laughs> but because I was there and I was listening and I was engaged, I think that this is a perfect platform for customers to be coming in. And you've got such great clickable attribution. So again, think about podcast versus YouTube. I'm not trying to make the enemy and the hero here, but podcast attribution is sometimes a bit difficult. YouTube does have a bit more clickable, sticky things that are happening within the platform. So just for tactically, I just want to make sure to make that distinction, why people should kind of pay attention to this. And then Sean, let's, let's highlight a little bit. Again, we talked about what we take for granted as knowledge and what people might not be aware of, but there's kind of two verticals you can use to use partnerships. One is on the ad level and one is more on the like baked in review video styles. Can you just like talk about those like placements, like pre-roll, mid-rolls versus actual full-on video reviews? Absolutely. So yeah, thanks Joey for just making that distinction. Uh, several types of ads, but for the purpose of what we talk about today, we're talking about co-creating content with the YouTuber themselves for your brand within their content itself. So really two main styles of videos, either the entire video is in some way a indirect endorsement for your brand or ethos. So Joey highlighted a video review. And I think a really, really exceptional example of this is on a brand right that Joey right has experience with for Newtopia, customized blend nootropics. There's an amazing video out there. Highly recommend it because it's informative above all else, right, of several uh, nootropic options available to you as a consumer. So for anyone that doesn't know, essentially nootropics are an opportunity to upgrade your brain as we all have greater work demands and asks, right? of us through this new working environment, how can we get more out of our brains to do what we need to do? So the entire video segment is around covering nootropic options. And through that process, it's a filtration of what's the final choice. Now that's video option number one, right? Which is from start to finish, the whole content piece is around driving brand awareness, and then ultimately a decision or choice towards one that the viewer may be interested in. The other option is add specific placement at certain points. So you talked about pre, mid, and post. One of the beauties of YouTube is the data transparency. So why does this matter, right? For managers who are already deep in this, or maybe anyone who is just at a high level thinking about jumping into social media and influencer marketing. When you put dollars towards advertising, it's always a bet. It's always a gamble. And what decreases and hedges the risks is certainty. Now, how do you get certainty? You get certainty by measures that uh, Joey already discussed. Is this a trusted partner in person? And one of the ways to establish that, right, is the beauty of how social media works. Traditionally, right, in radio, television, film, advertising, it was there's this public figure, somewhat of a mythological being, but it's kind of separated from the viewer experience. Well, what social media did was really fill the gap between 
At the end of the day, this is a person just like you, and you can communicate now. That's primarily, right? Through all these mechanisms, you can have a direct one-on-one -on -one communication lever with that person, which develops a human relationship. And that is the fundamental of driving a relationship with somebody and building trust, whether or not, regardless of what you're selling. Um, and so where YouTube is really interesting is that component exists. Read any videos, comments, and you'll see some pretty interesting and informative stuff oftentimes. But the other aspect is the data. And so they provide a dashboard with extensive reads on what the views look like on any timeline basis, how far into the videos people are actually watching. And this is what really guides that second ad type, which is specific placed ads, anywhere from 30 to 60 seconds. You can do pre, which is in the beginning of a segment, mid, middle, and end, which is usually in the last 20%. What I really like to, to think about is how can you get in the first 50% of an episode and then find the most natural way to weave in your ad placement with what the creator is already going to be discussing and talking about in their video. And you can do an approach of you provide the, the ad information to execute it, but the really exceptional folks in the space will get an understanding of what video they're creating, how the video is supposed to evolve, and then figure out a natural opportunity to, to place that within that first 50% and just double check that their videos also get viewing past that 50% mark. Because one of the things I also just want to mention is there are times, right, where it makes sense to put an end roll. But all of these specific levers, right, beginning, middle, end, how long the ad is, specifically how many times that a creator will do a call to action, these are all negotiation levers for you, right, as a manager to drive down that value ratio of ultimately what you're getting for price and how many sales that you can drive. There are times to do end roll, but what I really like to do is double check the duration of how long folks watch because that will give you that certainty. That's where you stop hedging and you start moving into a new space of influencer marketing where you're using the data to game and get an uphill advantage. So true and so powerful. Here's the big concept to take away here. And this applies to not just YouTube. I mean, this is influencers in general. As everyone knows, follower counts, likes, all those things, they are vanity metrics for the most part. Subscribers, I mean, yes, they are a point to look at, but they are not the only thing. If I see somebody that has 500,000 subscribers, it's like, wow, on paper, that looks amazing. And they could charge me a CPM based on that. But like Sean's saying, let's check out the reviews. Are they getting reviews? Like in the comments, is it good? Are they engaged? Or are they just like basically crapping on this guy or girl? So there's, I don't know how many points of reference we use right now, but we have a framework as you probably do, Sean, like everything to look at and prospect correctly. Because finding people isn't the issue. It's finding quality prospects for your brand and then outreaching the right people. You don't want to be signing checks to people that are cashing them either way. And then you're not getting any return and you leave there with your head down going, influencers don't work. It's like, no, no, no. Like your target's not working and you're picking the wrong people. And I've done that. Like, this isn't like me on my pedestal here, like saying I'm better. I'm just like, I've made those mistakes and I don't want anyone else to make the mistakes. And one of the things you mentioned is another question people have a lot of times is like, well, is pre-roll better than mid-roll and end-roll? That's kind of the wrong question. It's really dependent on the creator. I want to dig in if you can. I don't know if you have any tools to share, but like, how can people start to get those analytics? How can they look at it? Is there any free tools or like, how are you doing it on your side? Yep. So those are great questions, right? Where is it better to place your ad? What it starts out with is going back to those frameworks of assessing value. Let's take one quick step back. One of the metrics that is very telling, I agree, right? Likes can be somewhat misleading. Views can also be misleading. One of the reasons for that is you don't always know the source of where these views are coming from. That doesn't in any way mean that the creator is doing something dubious, but 
uh, I'll give you an example, right? There, there's a creator I know very well who creates amazing content, but as amazing as his view count is, half of his views come from a European country he has no affiliation with, and he's uncertain why it drives so much. Now, these are the important things you as a manager, right, want to do, which is thoughtfully ask to get an understanding of the traffic sources. All right, a couple of things. So let's get back to how can you, right, as a manager, obtain the data to assess the value. And then once you assess the value, you can make the right decision on placement and you can price appropriately and strategically to build that long-term future. So what I like to do is start with a mindset of spell out the deal up front. And what that means is you as a deal creator and as a manager are always at the most advantageous point to set the expectation and obtain data and information in the beginning of the deal creation process because that's where both parties are, are interested and it really comes down to a value exchange before something moves forward. And this is an amazing position for you to be in and, and something I urge, don't be shy about, right? Make the asks because the worst that you'll ever get is a no, but there's still ways to figure stuff out. So what I like to do is you, you have a connection with a creator right? It's clear, right? Both sides want to make a deal happen. What I like to do is mention, hey, before we can come out with pricing, what we like to do is just do a quick run through of some data analysis on the channel. So I usually ask for traffic sources all within the last 90 days, age demographics, gender demographics, a, some level of country distribution. So beyond what sources they may be coming from, what countries, right? What parts of the world do we know this is? Uh, really driving a lot of the actual value of the content itself. And that in a nutshell, right, I would say is level one. Now, I think in a future video, we can go into level two, depending on how advanced you get into your, your program. But start there, right? How many views has this channel been getting over the past 90 days? What's the age split? Where do the sources come from? What countries care? And is it, what is the gender breakdown on that? Because these are all really important metrics you as a manager want to be thinking about. Does this actually align with our own products and our own profile? Not so that it only drives what you do, but there should be some, ideally, right? There's some connection between it. Otherwise, that's your first red flag of this may not be the best fit. And conversely, right? If there's a really clear one-to-one, -one, that's a great sign. Then, right, there's ways to start pricing the ads. So the beauty of a pre-roll versus a mid-roll, right? Let's just start with the foundations. The logic with a pre-roll is the second a segment starts, your ad is going to get seen, right? Now, there's advantages to that, absolutely. But the one challenge you have to also account for is the human experience, our ability to skip and make choice. So what I've found is realizing that there's the data that you have to make logical conclusions, and then also put yourself in the seat of the viewer to figure out, hey, if you were watching this exact piece, where would you be most inclined to truly pay attention to this? And then does the actual data support that? So here's what I mean. There's some channels we've worked at, amazing channels, over a million subscribers, tons of comments, just predictable, predictable numbers. You get an ad in their first 30 seconds, you're gonna be selling units, you're gonna be making an impression, no doubt about it. At the same time, in the middle of the episode, is when this creator goes deep into what that audience comes there specifically for. And so as I'm watching, naturally, I think about mid-roll, because if you're truly watching the video, the longer you watch is the higher your level of interest, right? And that's what your pricing logic should be around. Is this channel correct? And from a viewing standpoint, how do I price strategically? Pre-roll, people can skip. The host also themselves, they don't have to disrupt their own creation of the video. So it's kind of the separate piece on the first that's advantageous to them. These are all great things to think about 
because um, on the whole, over a majority of scenarios that I've seen, mid-roll is very valuable. The one thing that you have to account for is, are folks really going to watch the video? And that's where I just see the separation between some of the good influencer managers, between the great are the great will assure that folks watch to that point. Otherwise, if they put it two minutes after, you've lost a significant amount of value. So it's a couple things, right? It's understanding you have options. Options are a great thing, but when you have options, you should use that as a lever to negotiate, find more information to drive a strategic buying choice. And then as far as pricing the ads, Joey, as you mentioned, right? There, there's tons of tons of it to evaluate, but I would recommend as a starting point, keep it simple. There's tons of visible data available to everybody. Look at the last 11 videos. Do a quick average on the views. Apply a 5% growth percentage, assuming that the creator is putting out videos on a regular basis. Then from whatever that number is for the month that you plan to put out your ad, use that, times it by an appropriate CPM, and that'll give you a starting point. A very logical, clear starting point and a place to start working with the creator to figure out best pricing and opportunities for you, which is a whole nother sub-segment, but that's where it starts. If you've ever been interested in leveling up in partnership marketing, including affiliate and influencer marketing, as well as developing stronger partnerships and making better connections, then I want to invite you to check out PartnerUpProfits.com. It's a passion project dedicated to helping you simplify your business and personal life by giving you access to done-for-you templates, blueprints, and systems related to partnership marketing that you can instantly start to use and see results from. I've always been a systems guy, and the beauty of systems is that it takes the guesswork out of the process and gives you a plan that you can use immediately while saving you time and effort. So you'll get access to free training and courses on everything partnership marketing related to level up your knowledge. And because I have a soft spot for the boots on the ground folks out there who are expected to get more done in less time using less money, the systems I'm giving you are based on a bootstrap budget so you don't need to spend thousands of dollars right out of the gate. Just go to partnerupprofits.com and sign up through my free course to get my productivity toolbox, which includes templates for scorecards, objective planning, relationship tracking templates, productivity hacks, opportunity calculators, time blocking templates, and a whole bunch more cheat sheets being added regularly that will totally transform you into a partnership marketing expert and productivity ninja. You can also get access to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Influencer Marketing course that has over two hours of content where I'll teach you the right way to start working with influencers, including how to outreach, prospect, and close deals and start developing more partnerships and building your influencer army. Go to PartnerUpProfits.com and get access now. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, that was very insightful and hope everyone's taking notes because that's truly the starting point you need to get to in order to start making some decisions and be able to live with them. Listen, like everything we're talking about today, it applies and it might get you a good result or just might get you a result. And from there, you have to start to learn how to pivot. But if you're not measuring any of that stuff and you're starting, that's a little bit more dangerous. So I like the idea of, I'm a big fan of calculators, right? You and I have kind of built calculators together with all these points of reference and then it becomes, okay, what's the final value of this 
this creator based on these 50 different data points, right? So that's step one. Everyone can build their own calculator. I'm sure you've got yours, Sean, and maybe that's part of your tools. I've got mine too. But I think you mentioned a couple of things. So one little tool that I use is to, and it's free. Again, it's one point of reference. It's not to say go there and make your decision off of that, but socialblade.com. It's a bit of a YouTube platform. You can ranks people and it gives you some demographics, things like that. Flanks.com can be a free version. It's more for influencers, but it can also give you geographic regions. So again, like if I'm going to pay for an influencer to do a promotion, if I'm selling to the US, I don't want the majority of people in France or in, in Germany, et cetera. Like I want to make sure that I'm selling to the right people and tools like that can help you identify the audience. And something you mentioned, Sean, like talking to the creators either or talking to the creator's team, if they're not willing to give you this information or work with you on that, chances are it might not be a good fit, right? Like either because they're too busy or it's like, no, nah, I don't even know how to get that stuff. It's like, okay, well, there we go. That's my red flag. I'm moving on. Even though you guys seem like a good team, I'm willing to move on from creators at that point, just because it's like, well, if you're not willing to do the work on this, you're not aligned with our interest. So that comes to practice. But one thing else that you mentioned, I wanted to just circle back to is the importance of vetting like through your own means. So if I'm looking at a creator and their video, and I think about the pre-roll, as, as you mentioned, I'm looking at their pre-roll. Like I'm going to look at other products they're promoting on their pre-roll. How did I feel for that promotion? Did it feel organic or did I just like want to skip it? Like are they talking to, like, are they going to talk about the highlights of yesterday's game with the Dallas Cowboys? And I'm just waiting to get the score. And then they start talking about like cat litter. And it's like, well, that's a disconnect. I don't care about, you know what I mean? Like just get me out versus maybe they're talking about sports and all of a sudden they're talking about a sports drink. And so like, maybe it's a bad example, but the point is the more harmonized the marketing is, the more integrated it is with the the actual show content, the better. And you can check that out for yourself. You can't ask them, how good's your content relatable to your products? Like just go ahead and do it. And there's one other tool too that we use and it's a paid tool and it's mostly for podcasts, but it's Magellan AI. And what I really like about this tool, and I don't know if they've developed it for YouTube just yet, so maybe that's a product idea, but they can tell you the retention rate of advertisers. So I can look to see what's the retention rate of that show. Oh, 5%, not that great. Oh, actually this one now, 75%. Like people are sticking on, they're continuing to advertise. So the point is though, like Sean mentioned, create data points, measure all your content creators off of that, off of those data sets. And then here's the key thing. And I don't know if you've done this, Sean too, and I'm sure you have because you're a smart guy, but like if you predict success, so let's say show X, I expect it to make based on I'm spending this much amount of money and based on a couple other tests that I've done, I should make back this investment. And you can get that granular, trust me, it, it does get, become to that point. If I don't make that, I measure the Delta, meaning the difference in what I thought I'd make versus what I actually made. And then I'll apply that on the next one. So the point is you're trying to create an average of what the actual ROI is on all these deals and you have to keep track of it. And it's not a one and done deal. I don't know how, like Sean, how many like YouTubers or creators do people have to kind of cycle through out of, like, let's say they want to get five good deals in place on average. Do you think that they've got to test like 50 creators or what's like, what's that percentage to your experience? Yep. So I think for someone starting out for the first time, let's say your company is trying YouTube for the very first time. I think it's important to try 30 YouTubers within a 15 month time frame. And there's a couple of variables at play. I think there's statistical significance. So in 30, there should essentially be three groups of 10. And across that 10 should be spanning across five months and different theories that you as your company want to test. It's really worth talking about that there are certain parallels as they apply to partnerships that will work for every company. But what really allow companies to accelerate and do just the dream worthy scenarios is they have to combine their own understanding of their own strengths 
and their products with really straightforward ways for the creator to deliver on it. And the other piece that you mentioned earlier, which is you have to find the right creators, which is I think where a good, a lot of time should be spent is not just going out and getting folks, but getting the right folks. So I would say a sweet spot, right? is 30 within 15 months. It'll give you three tests over five months in groups of 10. And then you can test tiers of assumptions, right? So the underpinning of all of this should be making sure that you hit ROAS. And it starts again with those foundations, which you hit on, Joey. YouTube is fun because you can go back to folks' channels and you can see where they started and you can see videos that they put out seven years ago. And that video at this very moment is collecting revenue for the brands that are sponsored on that video and then also for the creator themselves. So what I would encourage is start with 30, right? So if we're just, let's say we're just using this as a case example, Joey, give yourself that year and a quarter, go out and get 30. And then what I like to do, and, and I'd love to yeah, share on the episode here, if it's okay, which is through all my testing, I really wanted to provide a framework for what I think the right allocation is of type of deal. And we can get into that on this episode about specifics of the type of deal. Maybe that's a future segment, but this essentially is the breakdown I think really helps. 50% of those YouTubers that you acquire, 50% of those 30, so 15, right? Should be affiliate-based deals, pure affiliates, right? It's a whole separate segment to talk about how you can do affiliates strategically, but at a starting point, affiliates are commission-based deals. So as a brand, you'll always be profitable. But on a percentage of the sale, the creator gets uh, a certain percentage that you deem. 50% of your YouTubers, put them on that deal structure. Then another 30% put them on a hybrid deal structure. Hybrid is half of its affiliate. So again, you pick a commission percentage. The other half of it is a fixed fee. Now, the fixed fee is where a lot of fluctuation happens. A whole other segment could be put on the pricing of creators and influencers, which too, which is a vast C and something that goes through a lot of changes month to month. What I advocate, and again, just for anyone watching, I work with both brands and YouTubers. So what I really try to do is bring forward the mindsets that create value for both sides, that don't give a disproportionate advantage to one or the other, because the reality is you want to be working with the like great marriages, right? You want them to never end. So they both have to be thinking in terms of long-term interest for each other. But this is what I would recommend for the brand to, to, to help the creator, but then also help yourself do it intelligently. In the hybrid structure, you think about those first 11, the last 11 videos, you understand their view, you assign a growth percentage, you understand the month that you're coming out, and then whatever that pricing is, times it by 0.8. So 80% of that pricing, plus what you think is a fair commission structure. And that will be enough for the creators that as folks right who are watching, some will realize that or experience that some folks, for whatever reason, it could be purely ego, frankly, it could be they need more time in the space to understand different economic drivers, but they won't promote something without getting something up front. That's the case, flip it, right? Use that to your advantage. Give yourself an opportunity to give them something up front, but don't promise the form because that's definitely tempting. But again, that goes against that that those foundations, the framework of you're always going to be managing to ROAS. The beginning of the deal is the time where you have the most opportunity to negotiate those long-term pricing strategies. So understand what their true value is based on numbers, right? Not on feelings or emotion. And then times that by 0.8, right? So you're still getting it at an advantageous price. Consider doing three ads of that price, right? So they get a group buy and then they have a commission percentage. 
that should be your next 30%, right? So 50% affiliates, you always know have to be profitable. You can review your ROAS, but you don't really need to extensively because you already know at baseline how it starts. 30%, which should be more analytics driven because you're applying some money up front plus a commission structure. And that 80%, uh, the one other uh, layer I'll put in that is should be focused primarily on micro-influencers or micro-micro-influencers. Now, what is this term? Some may be very familiar, some may not. So I'll pick kind of a middle ground, which is for the past 10 years, influencers have taken on a lot of different definitions. What I find is the most consistent is, and most valuable from a partnership standpoint, is how many people pay attention to them, but really pay attention to them. And that starts with their followers, their subscribers, whatever mechanism the platform uses. But then of that, right, how many truly engage? And that should give you an understanding of their influencer impact. So when we say micro-influencers, we're talking about there are some folks who have a million plus on YouTube, 10 million plus. I think Beast might be a million, yeah, at a hundred, you know, we're reaching new ground all the time. Micro-influencers, just as a baseline for this episode, I would recommend using under 100K subscribers. Mm. So you've got a significant audience. If you really think about that, 100,000 people in the world are paying attention to what you say, which is a powerful thing. But at the same time, within that 50 million of all YouTubers, it, it wouldn't necessarily be on the highest ends of the spectrum. So find 15 people under that 100K, because those are the ones who are also more eager to learn. They're not so hungry for the highest price point. They haven't been, and I think this is worth talking Part of the creative process and the mindset is you get so much attention and feedback loop from that. You as a partnership manager can also maybe experience some of that in your pricing discussions. To put another way, some folks, frankly, they overvalue their ads because they think their stuff is better than they are. And I'm here to say that you have to be a voice of maintaining that rational thinking through numbers. And the way to get that extra value on the front end is partnering with those micro influencers. And if we think about it in terms of sports, work with these up and coming rookies who are gonna be great, really figure out what they want, right? Really spend the time on the calls, learn about them, learn about what they want, and then position if there's truly a fit, what your brand needs with where they're trying to go and do it at the right price. Amazing things can happen. Spend 80% of your time there. The other 20% is swing for the absolute effing fences. And depending on where your company is financially, a lot of that drives this and how much budget you have allocated. You have to be smart, right? So much of this is where do you put your money and where do you think you're going to get the most return? But of that 20%, identify folks that you think are just, you're somewhat scared saying out loud and, and, and really figure out, right? So 20% in this case would be maybe five or six of that 30. Maybe, right, in this case, right, if we're using 30, I would adjust that maybe more of like three, right? Three to four, 10%, depending on how much you want to spend. But then go out, get them, and figure out how other brands have already got them. And then what drives negotiation power in that point is this. These are the biggest names in their industry. These could be uh, celebrities in movies. These could be people like Mr. Beast, PewDiePie, right? Folks that you just know, brands are coming after them all day, all the time. So it's going to be harder to stand out. Somewhere in their content, there's an answer about what they truly care about beyond the money. Frankly, they already have money from ads. That's why they have a huge pipeline. But there's something deeper there. And that's what I would urge you as a, as a partnership manager, if you're watching, to figure out if you're going for the really, really tough gets and you still want to do it strategically, it's entirely possible. I know that because I've worked with one. And frankly, I 
convinced him to hire me cold without him even knowing me. So I know this stuff is possible and not just it for anybody, right? It just comes back to knowing the person that you're talking about. What do they truly want? Positioning not only the money for the ad, but then also do you as a company have education and opportunities and other things that you can offer that creator? Because you'd be surprised. They got there because they were open-minded. They were relentless about learning and doing. Position yourself as such, and, and you could be winding up with an amazing roster of talent across that 30 and doing it very strategically with costs. And the best part is, right, if you're evaluating this in year one, absolute drive for, for, for profitability at the highest levels. But know, too, that even in year five, there's going to be returns on it. So yeah, we'll spend time to talking about how those mechanisms play to, to set yourself up for long-term financial success, but little stuff like making sure in the contract that they can't take that video down for a certain amount of time. These are the finer tactics just to make sure you protect your investment. That's awesome, man. Great, great shares. And uh, I like the breakdown. We're here to provide value. We're here to provide some sort of framework to get started. And I would have to agree with what you just mentioned as the percentage of allocation of how I'd set up my test. And I would say one other thing. So anybody listening, company owners, product owners, marketing managers, here's the other thing to consider. And Sean, we didn't really touch on this because it's more of an advanced strategy, but I still think it's worth considering. You can use assets in your own marketing once you get them from the creator. So if someone does a great video, and it's like, wow, I'm going to take that. I'm going to put it, repurpose it into a Facebook ad or an internal marketing ad. And you can drive a lot of sales through that for many years by licensing that content or maybe owning it outright, depending on the deal structure. That is another negotiation strategy and another piece of the puzzle that in the right circumstances with the right partner, I might want to invest in that partner just to get that asset because I know that like that one person, like it's going to resonate with my audience demographics so much that it's worth spending the money with that person outright, as opposed to doing maybe the affiliate or the hybrid deal. Now that's an advanced thing. And I wouldn't just suggest paying anybody for anything just because you like them, <laughs> but it can be dangerous. But I would say that the asset component of this is another thing to consider, just like everything with influencers, you can always repurpose, re-leverage and do all those things. The up and comers is a, another one. First off, because of the time, I want to do another episode on a couple other topics. So I made a couple notes on some follow-ups we're going to do. I think that some of the follow-ups we'll do is like how to actually outreach, how to negotiate and then how to run a negotiation after you see some results come in. But the diamond in the rough unicorns, the, the, the people out there that you can instantly identify, they've got maybe 2000 followers, but they're making great content. They're putting in the reps and they're in for the long haul. If you can get them from the beginning and the way I look at it and the, the language and communication that I've used, I don't know, maybe you've, you've done similar, Sean, but it's like, I want to sponsor you now. I see the potential in you and I want to like get in on the ground floor with you. And the other thing that I would do when it comes to paying for things, now listen, like we haven't touched on this, but like why is YouTube a bit more expensive than general podcasts or influencer style marketing? Think of the editing cost that goes into a video. Like some of these guys are doing 10 minute videos that are, it's taken them probably upwards of 80 hours to actually get edited and not just to mention record the content. So that's a lot of money for them to just to say, I'm going to take an affiliate cut. No, no, no. Like that's a big risk for me. So instead of just saying, I'm going to pay you for an ad, I like to, like Sean said, learn your audience, learn what they value. They have to edit this. They have to pay someone to do that. It's like, Hey, listen, I get it. It's probably going to cost you X amount to edit this video. And if that's not in line, let me know what's going to cost you, but I'm willing to like 
pay for the editing costs to go all in with you. And then let's do an affiliate deal. So you keep making commissions over time because, Hey, your audience is growing, right? So play to their ego a little bit. You're just going to keep making more money and you're going to keep blowing up, but I'm going to cover you. I got that first cost for you. So that's one negotiation strategy among like 20, 50, 100 that I know Sean uses, <laughs> but like get in the language of it, right? This isn't a free thing that they're going to put out in the day. It's going to take some time and I want to make sure they feel supported and backed because I genuinely do care about them being successful and I want them to. If all that's going to take to get over the hump is a little bit of an editing cost for me, cool, I'll do it. But yeah, Sean, we've delivered so much content today and so much value. I really want to save another episode with you to come back and, and focus on the other side of how to really outreach effectively, how to start managing these partnerships because people are going to start to get some wins from this episode, hopefully going after some YouTubers. Now they got a bit of confidence, some data frameworks to look at. And uh, let's talk about a bit regarding like beyond consulting. So if someone's interested in learning more, how to work with you also just like to follow along with your tips. I know you've got some things uh, going on, on your site. Just take us through what that process looks like. Absolutely. So if you're interested first and foremost, right, thanks for just starting to understand, right. And consider the power of YouTube for yourself as a creator or right as a brand looking to grow. What I would recommend is check out my website, right? Read what's on there. There's tons of free value to start out with. And if you vibe with that, schedule a call. There's going to be a link on the website where we can talk directly about what your specific needs are, whether you're a YouTuber or whether you're a brand looking to work with YouTubers, but leverage everything free on that website. Uh, and then I'll also send you, Joey, I post a lot of free content too on a LinkedIn group that we've started. So there'll be daily just nuggets of wisdom, things to, to think about, whether it's a mindset or a tactic. But our goal right at Beyond Consulting is this. We want to be the number one place, the definitive place where you go to help drive value as a brand on working with YouTubers. So if you want to be the absolute best at creating a YouTube partnership program, we will help you be that. That's for the brands. And then for YouTubers, we help you with redesigning right your revenue models. So this is a whole, whole separate thing, but, but it's important for the brands to understand too that YouTubers are constantly thinking about where their content is going and how they can make money from the content. And where that provides an advantage to you is if you can get alongside that mindset and understand where they're trying to go, it also positions you for new opportunities, new content immersion possibilities, and then also negotiation. But again, right, starting with check out the website, check out the LinkedIn, tons of free stuff available to you. And if you're ready, right, to have a conversation, schedule your convenience, we'll talk. In that talk too, you'll have, you'll be coming out with some frameworks before any kind of decision would be made. But yeah, we'd love to start there. And then if there's a fit, we can always talk about how to work together. Yeah. And I have no doubt that you guys are going to accomplish that because you're one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to YouTube and I've learned so much and it's been one of my favorite conversations when we're getting on calls together. So the site is beconsulting.net as well as I'm going to drop some things in the show links, including Sean's LinkedIn and everything else. But start following them, start listening, start getting on some strategy calls if this is a good fit for you. Again, and the thing that I want to really emphasize here is that I've worked a lot of aka brokers, agencies, and I kind of like, I don't like to say the word agency because it's almost like an A word at this point, <laughs> but it's like 
Sean doesn't work with Churnum and Burnham type of deals. And that's what I really value about what you do and what you brought to the table for Bioptimizers and Utopia. And I know you're going to continue to develop, to deliver really quality leads for everyone in the future and make both synergies, right? Like you're coming at this from both sides, the influencer side, as well as the company side. So to be able to bridge that gap is important because you have interests for both sides and it's going to create just wonderful harmonies. So awesome stuff, man. Thank you, Joey. And you hit on a really important thing that, which I just love to, to highlight on and, and help the audience make the distinction beyond consulting, right? What we do, we are not an agency and that's, it comes as no disrespect to an agency. They do a tremendous and meaningful work and drive a lot of value. We are a consulting firm and mm -hmm. the difference is we focus on problems. So when we work together, my number one obsession is figuring out what you're struggling with within the space that we're talking about and then making that problem go away. Now, how we do that, there may be a conventional approach that we've done, it's straightforward. It may be something we have to completely rethink, but that's the beauty of this ground is, there's a lot of creativity and opportunity for us to do that together. So we'd love to explore that with you. And for anyone also continuing right to develop a relationship with Joey through these episodes and future ones, I would just like to say that he's been one of the greatest practitioners in all the partnerships I've come across really and truly incredibly thoughtful and not to oversimplify, but it's true. You just get it right. And I think with this space, there's things to get from your business side, from the creator side, from a delivery of the mechanisms to just making sales work. He's done it all. He's done it for a while and he understands where things are going. So highly encourage people to continue paying attention because this, he knows the questions to ask and it's an absolute joy. Always, always jump in on the front with you, Joy. Thanks man. I really appreciate that. And uh... It's always a pleasure talking to you. We are going to have Sean back on the podcast. I made some notes going through here and I was just like, we're not going to get to it all today, but that's okay. That's why there's always a part two, right? So the sequel is coming. We're going to do a little bit of a wrap up. We're going to do some, a fun segment of the podcast that we get into a bit of the personal side of things, which is one of the reasons why I like to have the podcast. My own partnership power move is the podcast. Have people on, ask them questions and like deliver some value, but also get to know the person. So what is your number one partner up power move for connecting with people? It could be like, I sent them a postcard. I, I got something from somebody or somebody did this to wow me. But I want to know, like, what's your number one thing that you would do if you need to get a hold of like the person tomorrow, what would you be doing? Uh, is, is this somebody I don't know? Somebody, well, doesn't matter actually. You just want to get their attention and they haven't really been giving it to you. Ooh, be very thoughtfully direct. And, and so what I mean by that is people are busy. So there's a book that I love called The Four Agreements. I don't know if anyone out here has read it, but one of the agreements is don't take anything personally. Mm. And I just think in a world that so much communication, so many emails, so many things coming at us that um, I don't think take things personally, but if it's really important to get someone's attention, I try to make that very clear to them so they understand. And at the same time, right, knowing that there's always opportunities, right, to, to, to connect and know more about a person. Um, so the other side piece to that too is direct communication, but then just ask questions that they've never been asked before. Like the stuff that you think about that even maybe like I do it all the time, but like, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should ask that. Just ask. If the intention in the heart is, is correct, you just, oh, some of the most amazing conversations and, and relationship growth can happen for them. That's a good one. I like that. And it leads, it's a great segue to the next section. And this is the last part of the podcast where we do a quick fire round. It's 10 questions. First thing that comes up in your memory your memory, your brain, whatever, spit it out. And we just, we roll to the next one. So first yeah. off, favorite food. Pizza. Best memory. Winning 
a soccer championship in my youth. Nice. If you had another go round, okay, and you got to write a new story for your life, what would it be in 30 seconds or less? Teaching people how to become outsiders. So doing the impossible and people not knowing exactly how until you've chosen to, to talk about it. Interesting. Okay. I know you're a big productivity guy. So what's the best productivity hack you've implemented in your business? Choosing one thing to focus on. There's so many things that we can all do. Choose one, put the blinders on, pretend you're a horse in a race and you can't go left or right, just straight. And then you'll get somewhere. Love it. All right. Now, listen, do you want to retire? Yes or no? Now, if yes, what else do you want to do? And if not, what are you continuing to do? I don't want to retire. I want to have the financial resources so I don't have to, but I don't. Um, and the reason is I think work is good for habits. I think it's good for your mind. What I'd like to do is create products that make people's lives better and mentally partner with people to, get, to help them get more out of themselves and also myself. Because I think at the end of the day, from the day we're born till the day we pass, life is a beautiful journey. And I think there's amazing moments to, to test and, and, and grow, depending on what you're capable in. And I'd love to be a vanguard in, in helping um, people get more out of themselves. Yeah, amen. That's a, that's, that's a powerful gift to be able to impart. So what book changed your life? So many. The first one, really, four-hour work week. Mm. When I read the four-hour work week, this is back when I was in consulting, I just knew something was percolating in my mind. And... I recommend that. I'm sure everyone's already heard of it, but if you haven't read it, read it. Because what it helped me understand was that these opportunities don't necessarily take special gifts, but what it does start out with, at least for me, was a difference in thinking. And when you start asking different questions, you start looking at life, problems, opportunities very differently. So it was a, it was a paradigm shift for me at about maybe early 20s. Yeah, four-hour week, man. It's, it's a good book. Going to go deep on this one, but what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for loving people and being relentless, which is a weird balance, but that's what yeah, I want yeah. to be remembered On that note, so like what, what's one skill either you'd recommend other people developing or you wish you would have developed at an earlier age to get more impact through life as you went? Focus. focus. I think focus is, of all the things, now there's disciplines, but I think just as a starting point, if you can pick something and stay on it for a long time mm. and not get detracted or deterred. So most of the people in, in that space won't be able or willing to do that alone. So if you can do that, and then you also bring good stuff forward, there's, there's great opportunity for you. One of the best mindsets I've come across is you can read tons of books on focus and those are helpful. But one of the shorthand lessons I learned is this focus is the elimination of distraction. That's where it starts. So think about what takes away focus and ensure that those things go away. So if your phone gets in the way of you completing something important, what I do is I put it in a jar, I put it in a lock for hours and I can't reverse it. So think about all the things that could potentially pulling you away, stay focused on a duration of time and your output at the end of it will enthuse you and help you rethink what's possible even on a day-to-day -day or hour-to-hour basis. And I know it's a quick fire session here, but I just have to like reaffirm that focus and follow through. It's so sad that that is the only quality that I'd feel gets you to be successful. Like it's sad that not everyone has that because it's so easy in a lot of ways. It's the easy, like, why don't you just focus and follow through? And it's just going to get tougher for kids coming up too, because focus is like the number one thing that people are struggling with. 
but you're absolutely right. Like being relentless at just one thing and not giving up is going to be the differentiating, differentiating factor between successful and non-successful people or people who reach their goals or people who don't reach their goals. And I mean, like, that's another passion of mine that again, a whole other podcast episode, but what's one thing, okay. That you and I are getting together in a year from today, we meet back up. What are we celebrating? Oh man, we're celebrating you building a benevolent cohort of people who are driving trust-based value-driven and long-term partnerships because you're to me a representation of that and this content is it's just the beginning but in a year from now we're getting together um, and i think we're celebrating just the growth that's come from this process and all the value you've helped create and hopefully i can help you in the process to, to do that man you're, you're a selfless person. I like that. Thanks for putting it on me. That's great. <laughs> I'll bring the champagne though, right? So <laughs> I'll bring some too. Yeah. So. And the final question, what's one bucket list item that you want to do or just a new chapter in your life that you still want to write? Yeah, I got a lot. I want to play Jordan one-on-one -on -one in basketball and not hold back. <laughs> oh man, this is the side thing. So I was, now that we're into it, rest in peace. Uh, uh, I, it, Two months before Kobe's passing, I was pretty close to working with him. I lived in LA at the time. And part of my, like, I'm a competitive guy. And so what kind of helped me grow was leaning into that instead of being shy of that or, or uncertain if that was a good thing. And I dreamt of competing with Kobe, not necessarily in basketball, but in the boardroom because oh. he was learning on how to, he was transitioning from basketball to building a media empire. And I wanted to work there. Obviously, right, because the respect and learning opportunities, but more than anything, I wanted to compete because I felt like that would help me learn and grow to be amongst somebody as relentless as him. Rest in peace, he passed. So Jordan now is on the list. Mm. I want to get to him and somehow we're going to loop all this stuff together. I'm going to go after him. That's the ultimate test, man. I, I like it. It's recorded. We're going to come back to this episode one day and just hold you to it. So I'm hopeful you're going to do it. And I'm pretty sure you can. <laughs> Thank you. Please do. Jordan, I'm coming for you. Sean, man, you're a world-class person to have on this podcast and just everything you're doing. Really appreciate, respect what you have going on. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Joey. Appreciate being here and uh, looking forward to the future. Awesome. Sure. Everyone listening, great having you on the show. Hopefully you enjoyed this one and you got a lot of value. If you have any questions for Sean, beconsulting.net. We're also going to do another podcast episode and go a little bit deeper on this once you guys have had a chance to get your sink your teeth in on it and uh, try it out for yourself. So Sean, thanks. We'll take care. See you till the next time. Thanks, Joey. Have a great one. That's all we've got for this Partner Up Profits podcast episode. As always, I hope you leave here today with one new idea that you can apply to your life and business. I'd be forever grateful to you for leaving a review of this episode. And if you like it, rate it a five or give it a thumbs up and just leave a quick comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at partnerofprofits.com on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, you're just one partnership away from changing your business. Let others do the selling for you and get ready to partner up and profit.